Hey y'all, AB3 here. Before we get started with today's show, I just want to give you a couple of updates on the greatest hunting app that there is right now. Of course, I'm talking about the Onyx Hunt app. I have it. I don't go into the woods without it. Onyx Hunt, man, that application saved me so many times. I want to tell you about the wind and weather. We all know that plays a big part in what we do, how we decide to hunt, where we decide to hunt. And when you have the Onyx Hunt application, you can see hour by hour forecasts for wind speed and direction. Check it out for the next eight days, any spot that you hunt on your map up to the next eight days. That means you can plan, plan ahead, kind of like how they said in the AT movie, plan ahead, amigo. You can do that when you got the Onyx Hunt app. Weather updates coming from 100,000 weather stations, refreshed every 15 minutes. Large intuitive visuals make it easier for hunters to identify weather patterns, make those in moment decisions, switch it up, kill those big deer, kill those big elk, get after those ducks and geese, making quick on the spot decisions, man, to help you be successful. Trim tracks, man. If you got the trim tracks, you can easily get to and from your stand. Sometimes you forget to turn your trim tracker off. Now with the trim tracks, you can trim those extra steps, get it down to a precise direct route in and out of your hunt area. Onyx Hunt, know where you stand. Make sure if you don't have it for your Android or your iPhone, it is available. You can also use it on your browser. Web maps are available. Whatever you choose to use, just make sure you're using Onyx Hunt. From Stone Mountain, Georgia, this is the Bryant Land Show, hosted by Proud Gamecock and South Carolinian AB3. All right, everybody, welcome to another Monday, another episode of the Bryant Land Show. Thank you for taking the time, coming through, making the download, making the subscription to come in and take a listen at what we got going on this week. Got a lot of things that I want to hit on before I get to our guest this week, which is Jimmy Flat from Hunters of Color. Just going to dive right into it. Well, actually, one thing before I dive right into it, want to send a friendly neighborhood reminder, a PSA, public service announcement, if you will, if you are not listening to our podcast on our website, BryantLandCountry.com, we encourage you to do so. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you're telling the five people to tell five more people about the show, about our podcast, what we got going on. We've been saying that for from day one since we started this podcast. 
encouraging five people to tell five more people. So make sure you're checking out our website, bryantlandcountry.com. Make sure you are subscribing to the podcast if you've not done so already. If you have, want to say thank you. A big, big thank you. Also want to send a shout out real quick to the folks at Onyx Hunt. They support our podcast, sponsor our podcast. Also want to say what's up and a shout out. Thank you. All that good stuff to the folks at Traeger Grills and the folks at Irish Setter Boots. Now that we got that out of the way, let's talk about Super Bowl 55 real quick. Let's talk about Tom Brady. Seven Super Bowls. As a Steeler fan, it is impossible for me to ever root for Tom Shady. Okay. Uh, going back to the days with the Patriots um, and the battles that those two teams had. However, seven Super Bowls or seven Super Bowl wins. Of course, he was voted the MVP of the Super Bowl on last night. Um, my quick take on that is just that game. I mean, you look at the score, they were dominant. Um, but there was definitely some calls early in the game. Seems like the referees had no problem throwing flags on Kansas City and it kind of uh, set them behind. Um, and, you know, Tom Shady and the Buccaneers, they got running, uh, got rolling rather, and it was just kind of hard uh, for uh, Mahomes and the Chiefs to catch up. Um, but the thing that I find very interesting in 55 Super Bowls, this is the first team to win the Super Bowl on their home field, um, which is, you know, pretty cool. Uh, like I said, first time that that has happened. But overall, man, it just to see Tom Brady at 40-whatever that he is, uh, still out there playing, still succeeding, all that good stuff, uh, it's pretty remarkable. Got to give the devil, got to give the devil his due. Um, so, you know, that's uh, that's one thing about Super Bowl 55. Like I say, you just got to give the devil his due. He, they got the win, not who I wanted to see. I would have liked to see Mahomes and the Chiefs get the uh, get the back-to-back uh, Super Bowl victories, but it was not meant to be. Now, on the outside of the Super Bowl, you know, everybody really gets uh, into whether yay or nay on the anthem and who sings the anthem and, you know, the halftime performance and stuff like that. I personally could care less. Like, literally, as a person that works in television, I could literally have the Super Bowl, like the broadcast start, one minute before kickoff. You come on, it's the Super Bowl, they got to be ready. I mean, because you just had four hours of pregame, right? I mean, uh, I mean, I don't know if you're sitting through all of that. And they've gotten better over the years. They're mixing it up with all kind of like entertainment and singers and all kind of other gibberish uh, in those Super Bowl pregame shows. But, man, come on. I don't care about seeing the anthem. I don't care about the halftime show, all that other crap. Just come on one minute before. Hey, we're here. Boom, kick, play. Um, now, 
I know that that won't ever be the case uh, because, I mean, it's the Super Bowl, okay? It's the biggest uh, sporting event of the year. Uh, well, one of, definitely at least one of the bigger biggest sporting events of the year. I mean, I, I put uh, the WrestleMania um, right up there with that, but that's a whole nother conversation for another day. Um, ironically enough, WrestleMania will be back in Tampa with fans in the stands. So that'll, uh, that'll be interesting. But anyway, getting back on track. Um, some people liked the halftime show. Some people didn't like the halftime show. I, uh, didn't watch, so I can't really give an educated opinion. Cause I mean, as a colleague of mine summed it up, I'm not the demographic the the halftime show was not you know for me so really um really don't have a dog in the fight there last thing that i want to add about the super bowl that i saw super bowl 55 one of the commercials that i saw that i thought was uh really cool really interesting there was a bass pro shop commercial um bass pro shop slash Cabela's it was at the end of the game so I don't know if people really got a chance to saw it because the blowout was in full effect um but it was just uh, a nice I think it was maybe about a minute um which you know one minute commercials in the Super Bowl uh are not cheap so I found that to be a uh, to be interesting but it was a nice commercial just you know encouraging people to be in the outdoors the outdoors is always going to be there uh get out in the outdoors go fishing hiking whatever the case is did notice that there was no hunting mentioned um i always think that's interesting as well um probably because you know the attitudes outside of our hunting community are not always favorable which doesn't make any sense. People accept fish, accept fishing, but if you say hunting, then people have like a five star fit. Um, but in that Bass Pro commercial, like I said, it was promoting the outdoors, promoting people to get outdoors, whether it's you know hiking, uh, fishing, you know any kind of outdoor activity, kayaking, all that kind of stuff. Um, but to my recollection. I have never seen a Bass Pro or a outdoor-themed commercial in the Super Bowl. So just to see that, you know, in one of the, like I said, one of the more higher-profile uh, events of the year to see a Bass Pro commercial running in the Super Bowl was uh, pretty interesting, pretty neat, um, you know, promoting our lifestyle, which is being out in the outdoors. Jimmy Flat is our guest today. He is from Hunters of Color, a organization that he started. The outdoors is for everyone, and that is what Hunters of Color is all about. Representation, encouraging diversity in the outdoors, Building with like-minded hunters, hunters of color, that organization looks, you know, to shift the statistics regarding race 
in hunting and reflect the diversity that is in our country. So that is what Jimmy Flats organization is all about. Sounds a lot uh, like the things that we try to do with our uh, media brand, Bryantland. You may have heard of us. <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed talking to Jimmy. Um, we get into a few different things here in this uh, here on this conversation. So hopefully you guys will enjoy it. I, I feel like you guys will enjoy it um, as much as I enjoyed uh, talking to Jimmy. So without a whole bunch of filibustering and just me jaw jacking, I'm going to move on out the way and let you guys listen to my conversation with Jimmy Flat from Hunters of Color here on the Bryantland Show. Bryantland. All right. Now, Jimmy Flat is on the line. West Coast time all the way from Corvallis, Oregon. Jimmy, welcome to the Bryantland Show. How's it going, man? Good. Thanks for having me. Man, taking the time to have this conversation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, it's something that is close to my heart and basically the backbone of when I started, you know, the Bryantland Media brand. It was to get out and, you know, tell stories and bring attention, uh, not only in the outdoors, but bring attention to people of color, black folks, quote unquote, minorities, uh, men and women. And you are certainly doing that with your organization, Hunters of Color. Man, what was your inspiration? Like what brought you to establishing your organization? And so, I think it, it all started as a, an observation <clears throat> that I made when I was growing up. I was always looking for, for people to go hunting with, and um, the people that I always found ended up being white, and I could never find anybody who looked like me who wanted to go out into the woods. And so um, years down the road, uh, I always thought that I wanted to do some kind of uh, give back to the community and try to get like inner city kids out into the woods and kind of show them a different perspective. <clears throat> um, and then, sorry about this, sorry it's all clogged up. <clears throat> um, so I wanted to help inner city kids get out into the woods and show them the experiences of the outdoors, um, the ones that kind of shaped me and molded me into the man I am today and uh, it wasn't until this August that I finally got the push from my girlfriend to kind of go all in and make Hunters of Color a thing and so we we started off with an idea of creating a a kind of a just like an Instagram platform that people could look at and kind of see uh, non-traditional people being out in the woods and see them having a hell of a time and, and having a great, uh, having a blast. And 
and I think it evolved into us wanting to go past that and turn it into a nonprofit where we would actually do outreach into these communities and bring people out hunting, fishing, um, camping for the first time, and kind of introducing people to uh, the community that we have. And so that's where it all kind of started. And um, right now it's taking off. Um, we are probably a couple of days away from getting our official nonprofit status. Cool. Um, and then once that happens, we'll see we'll see where it goes from there. Nice, nice. Getting uh, that nonprofit because that way you can start generating and raising money to do different things and do different events. Um what's the hunting like in Oregon? Like what's, what's big out there? Like, uh, is it big waterfowl state deer, uh, predator huts? Like what, what's big out in Oregon? Oh man. It's, it's everything you could dream of besides pigs. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Be thankful that you don't have (laughs) pigs because is. As much fun as it is to hunt hogs, um, and Lord knows we got plenty of them here in Georgia, they wreck havoc and wreck hell on property. So it's a catch-22. Yeah. I So I like them because you can hunt them year-round. Right. And keep your, your freezer full. And uh, here in Oregon, there's, there's definite seasons for everything. And so when I'm not hunting i'm just itching to get out and i wish we had pigs to chase around um but i grew up in california um i'm from the bay area okay uh, sonoma valley specific so wine country and uh grew up hunting deer turkey uh waterfowl uh, i applied for elk tags but in california it's kind of like a once in a lifetime kind of if you draw an elk tag, you, you might as well go get a lottery ticket. <laughs> um, nice. And so when I when I graduated from high school and moved up to Oregon for school, um, I was kind of excited about the opportunity to start to start chasing elk. So you can get an over the counter elk tag here. Um, and so here we have some of the best waterfowl that I've ever experienced. Um, we have deer we have mule deer and blacktail um, we have two subspecies of elk we have the roosevelt and the rocky mountain mm-hmm. um, we have some wild pigs but they're in like the south eastern corner of the state and apparently the vast majority of them are on a uh, private land um, so no pigs um, we have a lot of turkey um, yeah, we can pretty much chase anything year-round here uh, besides pigs. <laughs> <laughs> now, growing up in the Bay Area, I've been to the Bay Area many times, have friends out there, been out there for work and stuff. Very concrete uh, in that area. Not a lot of places that you would think of right off to hunt how old were you when you first started hunting and and who introduced you so i was eight years old when i went on my first hunt um we went out to grizzly island 
in California, which is just outside of Sassoon. Uh, it's in the Central Valley. And it was one of my best friends at the time. So when I was eight years old, I would have been in my third grade. Um, and so my third grade best friend's father invited me and my dad out. My dad's uh, ex-military and was a game warden on Camp Pendleton when he was in the military. Oh, wow. Uh, and so my dad had some experience with hunting, uh, but his dad was a little too serious about it, so he kind of steered away from it when he was a kid and kind of steered towards uh, playing sports. Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't really touch it until I was eight years old again. And so he, we went out. I had a, a hand-me-down pair of waders. Um, I was, there's water in, inside my waders because there's a leak. Um, I was freezing. <laughs> I was shivering next to the dogs. And uh, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was, it was foggy. We were sitting in the toolies and out of nowhere, these, these two mallards came cupped in. And the second my dad and, uh, our family friends shot the duck, the ducks, that's when it was all over for me. It was, I was hooked from then. And, uh, so growing up, I, I played a bunch of sports myself. And then, uh, at 12 years old is when I started picking up, uh, big game hunting. Mm-hmm. I got my first deer at 12, 12 years old in Napa, California. Man. Um, and, and all the big game hunting that I've done in California has all been on private property. Um, so there, at least all the experiences I've had in California, there's not a lot of public access. Right. Yep. Um, but but for waterfowl, being in the area, you have you have a lot of the, the marshes and estuaries in the northern part of the bay where I'm from, and uh, so it was easy access. And every I'd go out like three times a week during the duck season. I'd go out Saturday, Sunday, and then Wednesdays I'd go out after class. On Wednesdays I'd load up my truck with decoys, the the whole gauntlet of of gear and after our classes I'd rifle out to the, the marsh and try to get my limit. Um but then uh yeah it was it was kind of kind of lucked out having a having a friend who um who owned like three hundred and some odd acres in Sonoma and they were really uh opening to having me go and shoot turkey on their property. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it was, uh, it was easy access for me. And, uh, but I knew for a lot of people, it wasn't the same, same story. So uh, again, I was thinking of ways that I could introduce people to hunting. And there's always these, these ba- uh, barriers to entry that I was always coming up against. Yeah. And it, it, it's funny because, you know, with me, I'm a, you know, I always tell people I'm a late onset adult hunter. Like I didn't start hunting until I was 38. I'm 43 now. And, you know, I was fortunate to be able to secure, you know, some private land to hunt on. Um, I joined a hunt club uh, this year. Uh, really have enjoyed that and learned a lot from the guys that um, that are in the hunt club. But when you're first getting started, depending on what 
brand or like what type of hunting you're doing. I mean, like, you know, sometimes you can start out squirrel hunting or like rabbits or something, you know, small game or something like that. But if you're trying to get in to like deer or turkey or, you know, any kind of like waterfowling and stuff, it is tough to crack it because obviously even after you learn and you do all your hunter's education and learn about your weapons and stuff like that, your rules and regulations, you get your tags and that's great. But if you don't have anywhere to go, it's all for naught. And if you don't know where to go or have someone to kind of, you know, ping pong, you know, stuff off of or just to take you, then it could be kind of discouraging. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been there. Uh, when I moved up to Oregon, it was kind of the same story where I was looking for places to hunt for waterfowl and Turkey. And unless you own a boat and you can hunt the river, you, you won't be able to have any access or you got to go ask for permission. And, uh, knocking on doors is kind of hard for me just because I'm, I mean, I kind of an introvert and I, I have done it in the past, but, um, I strike out more times than not when I ask for permission. Right. Um, and yeah, there, it's it's a it's a daunting task to to try to get people into. And um, if you're doing it all on your own, it's it's kind of it might be too much to to swallow. And uh, I think the one thing that we have going for us here in the in the West is that we have large expanses of public land where anybody can go out and hunt and fish camp um but if you don't know how to access those spots or you aren't familiar with these areas just going out for the first time would be really hard by yourself so um i think having a mentor or or a family friend or somebody who's had some experience hunting goes a goes a million miles when it comes to getting into hunting Definitely, definitely. Will that be one of the things that you'll look to endeavor um, with your Hunters of Color organization, just basically, you know, being like a resource for people to, you know, know about the best ways of going and knocking on doors or knowing what public lands are available to them in a given area and how to research them and be able to know, you know, the difference between, you know, your public lands and your, you know, WMAs is what they call them here in Georgia or national forests and stuff like that. Because I know when I started looking at public land and just trying to navigate it, uh, it's like, okay, well, you can hunt here this day, then you can hunt here only on these dates. These dates are doe only. These dates are buck only. Like, it can really just be so confusing, like you said, when you first uh, first step into it. Is that something that you'll be looking to do uh, with the Hunters of Color uh, with your organization? Yeah, so coming out in the next few days, um, Hopefully, depending on our, our nonprofit status, but uh, we will be opening up our application for mentees and mentors. Mm. And so our goal is to set up a network of experienced hunters across the country who uh, want to take new hunters out for their first experience. And so uh, we'll be in charge of pairing up a new hunter or somebody who's interested with somebody who has experience 
and uh, maybe the first event that they go on is um, just a little barbecue out in the woods. It depends on who's uh, how comfortable the mentee is with with being outdoors, and um, also how comfortable the the mentor is at their capabilities to teach somebody how to get into hunting. Right. Yep. Um, another thing that we will be doing along with that is we were we're going to be doing our own um, safety course just to make sure that everybody we have gone through our system understands the, the safety that's involved when you're around either firearms or bow and arrow or um, things that are designed to, to take a life. Um, so we will be doing that along uh, with our Hunters of Color mentor program. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're pretty much putting it in the hands of our our network to kind of spread the, the joy and the, the passion of hunting with people that they want to share it with. And so um, that's one of the tools that we'll be using. Um, we'll also be doing um, sponsored hunts. So uh, if somebody or a mentor or a mentee um, has always wanted to go on like a, a moose hunt or something like that, mm-hmm. we're going to be trying to get uh, moose hunts donated, um, and it, it, it will range from from squirrel hunting to uh, bighorn sheep hunting. So it, we're gonna. I mean, we, we see ourselves growing slowly, but uh, we're growing really fast right now. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> nothing I mean, wrong with we're, fast. We're kind of. Oh, no, I know. We're, we're loving it. We uh, we're excited. We we're getting so much closer to being fully operational where we can get more people out. And, uh, we ourselves, uh, based out of Corvallis, we have taken, I think we're up to five hunters, um, out already in 2020. And our goal for 2021, uh, just us is to bring out another 20 in the year. So either that's through like a pheasant hunt that we have, sponsored here or a duck hunt or whatever it is um that's we're going to be getting more people out in the woods this year and getting more people into hunting now let's go back when you're you know talking about bringing out um the five hunters for you know that you guys took out in 2020 what uh what kind of hunt did you guys go on and what background uh were these hunters, were these like inner city youth, were these uh, adults that had never hunt before? Like what, what was their uh, background? So we took out two uh, woman hunters who had never been on a hunt before. Uh, we went pheasant hunting. And so uh, we're, we're lucky enough to where we have a wildlife area that, that releases uh, pheasant for, introductory hunt yep Mm -hmm. and so we coordinated with uh these two uh women hunters and then one of my buddies who had never been on a pheasant hunt before and it was his first year owning a license and so we invited him out to come with us and then uh two other hunters joined us who had had experience and some some success but had never been on a pheasant hunt and uh together we we walked the fields and we, we actually didn't get anything to flush that day, but, um, 
to end the hunt off, we, we went to the trap trap range and we shot a bunch of clays and uh, everybody had a blast, a, a literal blast uh, with that. <laughs> and um, they were, they kept texting us the next day saying, hey, when's the next, next thing you guys are going to throw? Because we definitely want to be there. Um, and we've, we've since met up with these people to have deers um, just on in passing and uh, we're they're hooked so just after one day of, of showing them a good time we had people that were going to buy hunting licenses again for this year um, and they want to help out any way they can and they eventually want to be to the point where they can start taking new people out and so I think that's what it's all about is that you just pass it along and it, it kind of you pay it forward as you go. Right, right. Man, that is that is awesome, especially to have a situation where you go and you're able to hook them on the first time out. I mean, even, you know, being on a pheasant hunt, like you said, where you weren't able to get anything to flush and you, uh, by that definition, maybe not be successful, but they had such a great time and enjoy the camaraderie and everything else that go along with it. They're like, okay, Hey, let's go and get our licenses and can, and continue on with this. Exactly. Um, yeah, the, one of the, the girls we went out with, she just had a smile from ear to ear the whole time. And was, uh, you could tell that she was soaking in everything. Uh, from like the sounds that she was hearing to the way that the dogs were working, um, to the way that the wind was blowing, I, she was taking it all in, and it was it was awesome seeing that because it's been a long time since I was a new hunter, and looking at a new hunter experiencing these things for the first time brings me back to the days when it was all new for me. Man, that's amazing. And all of these all of these folks right there from Oregon and, and women and hunters of color? Yep. Um, we had, out of the group, we had a um, two of the women were from the Middle East, um, or their families descended from the Middle East. Uh, we had a Native Hawaiian and uh, a black girl from uh, originally from Texas who had just moved to Eugene, Oregon. Nice, nice. It, it's just amazing that, you know, I was looking at um, some of your, like, uh, mission statement and just, like, some of the About You page and, you know, how people have these stereotypes and what they think, you know, hunters are supposed to look like and what, you know, hunting is supposed to be about. And one of the things on your page that you said that I really like is like the outdoors are for everyone. Uh, you know, it, it's something that is, goes back, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years and the perception may be that it's only like one group and like, oh, no, you know, other people don't do it or whatever. But the reality is that that was the way to survive, you know, all those years. So there's a little bit, uh, there's already a little bit in it uh, in all of us. 
Oh yeah, hunting is is rooted in deep with, within all of us. And I have a shirt that Cabela's released like I don't know ten years ago that says it's in my nature. Mm-hmm. And I mean it's it's within us all. I think I think the issue is that we've a lot of people. I mean people who live in uh, the urban uh, the urban jungles is that uh, we've become detached from where our food comes from. And, um, I think there's a, there's a huge push for, to figure out where your, your food's coming from and be more, more sustainable about the way you eat. And I think the answer to that is getting into hunting and, and giving back to conservation and making sure that we have these resources that are, are there for our, our taking if we do it responsibly. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been an incredible journey so far and, and the outdoors are for everybody. And I think it's a shame that the narrative has changed over the the past few decades that it is for a, one demographic of people. And I, and it, and it is, it, it can be damaging to, the, to um, getting new people out. Um, that, that notion that hunting is for one subset of people, but, uh, once we break down those those barriers, then I think we'll start seeing a lot more people interested in getting out and trying it out for the first time. And so that's what Hunter the Color really really all about is just breaking down all those barriers to entry. And I've always maintained too that, especially um, in the black community, that there are plenty of people that hunt, fish, trap, uh, you know, all those things, you know, farm. Um, and it was a situation where it may have started where it was just like a part of life and part of survival, not so much, you know, for the sport or just for the fun of it. But people think that because it's not broadcasted all over the place or you don't see, like, you know, people always posting on social media and in, in the social media age that we live in. Like, it's still, you know, funny to me now that, like, you'll hear people say, oh, well, black people don't do that. And it's just like, do you, like, know anything? It's like, how do you think, you know, to survive? Like, they didn't, all didn't just, you know, start out in Chicago or New York City or whatever. They migrated up there, and before that, you know, they were down living off the land, you know, hunting deer and fishing and stuff like that. So it, it's always funny to me when I when I hear that and and I just kind of shake my head. Yeah, one of my buddies recently told me that too. And, and I was like, man, we just got to get you out once and then, and then she, you'll hunt. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, well, I mean, it, the, the notion comes from, I mean, there, there is a study that was released in 2016. Um, it was by the U.S. Department of Fish and Wildlife that 96% of all licensed buyers are white European descent. Hmm. And that leaves 4% are people of color. And so if you break that down even further, um, in the Pacific Northwest, it's, it's a terrible, it's like the minorities in the Pacific Northwest are so statistically insignificant that they have no data on us. 
Um, so if you look at the data that they pulled, it's 100% white in the Pacific Northwest, which isn't true. But there's so few people of color up in the Pacific Northwest hunting that we just don't even show up. Um, and then for, uh, I think about 2% of hunters across the board are Hispanic. I think it's like one and a half percent are black. Um, and out of, out of that percentage, I think it's like 85% exist in the South. And, um, so the further North you get, the fewer black hunters you're going to run into. And being in the Pacific Northwest, I don't think I've ran into any black hunters other than the girl that moved from Texas that we took out with us. Um, so it's there's definitely a there's definitely a, a merit to the notion that hunting is white, um, but it's a narrative that I definitely want to destroy and make make it clear that hunting isn't just for white people; it's for everybody. Definitely, definitely, and it's funny because um, you know I interviewed uh, Patrick Durkin uh, a couple years ago now. And he wrote a article um, for Meat Eater, and it was called "Is Hunting Is Hunting Too White?" was the title of the article. And of course, if you know anything about media, I mean, obviously, when you're writing an article or whatever, you kind of have to title things to kind of try to get eyeballs and try to get you know people on the information, and then hopefully they will be able to absorb the information and think critically. Now that's a whole nother debate for a whole nother podcast, because as a person who has spent their entire professional life in media, people always tell me I give people too much credit and give them the benefit of the doubt because, you know, people always are like, well, the media, the media, the media, the media did this and the big bad media. And I'm like, well, media just presents you with the information if you're not smart enough to kind of like disseminate the information, then that's on you. It's not necessarily the big bad media. My my point is like when I talked to Patrick and, you know, we had a great conversation um, and I just asked him about the article and it's funny, like the backlash that I got, like obviously there was a strong segment of people that was like, okay, we get it, get what he's trying to say in the article, but it was just like people just saw like the title and they just flipped. Like it was just all kind of backlash and all, oh, well, why you got to bring race into it and why does everything have to be about race and the media is just trying to divide us and all this other stuff. And it's just like, like you just gave like that study. It's like the numbers don't lie. Now it's like, okay, yeah. why is it like that? And what can we do to kind of to sway those numbers or to kind to change those numbers around? But people weren't trying to hear that. They was just like, oh, why are you trying to divide and blah, 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 blah. And it's the liberal agenda and like all that other BS that people start spitting. And it's just like, yo, these are the numbers. Like all we're saying is this is what the numbers show and we're just trying to do something about it. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, the numbers speak to me. I'm a I'm a practicing engineer, um, and the, you, you can't argue with numbers. 
they're they're a fact. <laughs> it's like like saying gosh, I don't know the sun rises in the in the east. Like you you can't argue with that. Right. And <laughs> it's it's a it's a shame when people start getting offended by by numbers because I mean yeah it's it's a little ridiculous. I I recently had, uh, talked to um, I forget what his name is. It's Ian something. Um, but he he's from England originally, and he grew up in in England and always wanted to hunt. But because hunting is so inaccessible there, and you have to be super rich, or you have to know somebody who's super rich to go hunting there, he decided to pack up his bags and move to the United States just so that he could hunt. Wow! And um, and so he. He wants to um, get up or get involved with us because he has a strong fear that the way that things are moving right now in the United States that he does or he fears that eventually in the United States hunting will be a upper class kind of aristocratic type pastime where you go out with your thousand dollar blazer jacket on and uh, your five thousand dollar double barrel shotgun and you have somebody load it for you and he 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 was like he was adamant that we don't uh let it get to that point he's full on board with supporting hunters colors mission do you do you think that it could ever come down to that i can understand why he would feel like that coming from from england and and like he you know like you said it the access is more so uh, for the the wealthy or or like you said the aristocratic, do you see? Do you think that could possibly happen here? Uh, I, it would take. I would. I would think it would take a, probably a century or two for it to happen. But I mean, the the trend right now is that since the seventies, people have been uh, shying away from hunting. So uh, back in the day, it was like everybody you knew hunted. It right. was a, a thing that people would do to put meat in the freezer before the winter came around. Um, and now we have, especially in the last decade, we have fewer people getting into hunting. So we have uh, less kids going out, less kids going doing their hunter safety. Um, and if that trend continues, then I think that potentially we get to the point where that, that is a reality. And, um, and that, especially with the, uh, the, the narrative that that hunting is bad and it's a cruel, um, a cruel pastime that should be outlawed and whatever all that, that stuff is. Um, I think it wouldn't be too far fetched to, to believe that it could get to that point. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I only ask because I see a lot, you know, of people like um like I'm pretty sure you are, like I'm in a, a fairly decent amount of hunting groups and I always tell people about the stuff that I see in hunting groups and they don't believe me and I'm like it, it's almost like being in a complete another world sometimes. <laughs> some of the stuff that people come up with and some of the stuff that you read and the way people talk to different people uh, in those groups. But 
I know that is a legitimate concern and I don't poo-poo it because based off of the numbers, like you said, like the numbers of license, like where you really kind of see it and where you it really kind of makes you raise your eyebrow is like you said, you know, they're not as many kids registered like, you know, in Hunter's education. There's not as many people buying licenses and stuff like that. So if you go strictly by those numbers, um, yeah, I can definitely see why there's a concern and a concern for getting more people into it and getting more people, you know, more uh, kids and youth into it. So to maintain the tradition, the thing that I think a lot of times people don't account for um and it's probably because obviously there's no official way to count it. The what I call the off the books people. I just think as a way of life, uh, hunting, fishing, farming, as long as you don't get to a point where you take everyone's land and maybe I'm naive. I just don't think that you can just strip all the lands. Um, I think it'll always be around. Like I said, it's a little, it's different. I can understand, you know, looking at licenses and stuff like that. But I just think that for so many people, uh, undocumented, quote unquote, if you will, it's a way of life. I don't know if it'll completely ever go away. I mean, that's, I don't know. Like I said, I I, I could be wrong, but that's just my my take on it sometimes. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe it'll ever go away entirely um just like in in the united kingdom it still exists but it's uh, a fringe of society it's the the elites um and i think the so it, you uh, well hit on two things so the, there's two demographics that aren't picked up on within the study um that i that i read now I'm, I'm familiar with the is hunting too white uh article uh but the two demographics that aren't picked up on are, are Native Americans and uh, Native Hawaiians. Mm. Uh, Native Hawaiians in the state of Hawaii do not need to buy a hunting license to hunt on their ancestral land. Mm. And the same goes for Native Americans hunting on their their uh, reservation. They don't need to have a federal hunting license They hunt on their land. Um, so those are two demographics that aren't necessarily picked up on mm-hmm. in the study mm-hmm. um i don't know if it shifts that 96 percent figure all that much it might shift it a few percent sure yep um but so the the issue that i see uh, here's the to follow up again um and it, it was mentioned in uh uh in patrick durkin's article that the census says that by year, I think it's like 2044, uh, the majority of people in the United States are going to be a minority person. And so if the current trend keeps going where only white people are hunting, then eventually uh, we're, gonna not, we're not going to have any people of color hunting. And so that's that's the issue. And so once you have nobody buying hunting licenses, then uh, you have 
a low or a low demand, then your prices go way the heck up. Right. Yeah. And you end up having licenses. So like right now, I just I just bought my sports pack here in in Oregon. I think it was a uh, hundred ninety six dollars or something like that. If it gets to the point where to buy a hunting license in the state of Oregon is let's say five hundred six hundred dollars. I don't know. If, I mean, I'll still buy it because I I live and breathe for this stuff. But um, some people who kind of just do it for like, I mean, a traditional hunt with their father or their grandfather or um, people who are just getting into it, trying to pony up to $600 or $500 for a, uh, an elk tag, a deer tag, uh, your fishing license and hunt license is a pretty big chunk of change if you don't know what you're getting yourself into. Right. Right. No, I can see that because you're driving, you're driving folks away. And if it, if it ever got to the point where it's that much for in-state, you know, people that live in the state, good God, what it would be for those of us that like to travel out of state. Because it's a lot of times I look at out of state fees now and I'm just like, good grief. Like, what are you people thinking when you set, like, for an example, you go to, you know, a state that, uh, you know, in-state, their deer tag might be, like, or better yet, a turkey tag over-the-counter might be five bucks for a resident. But for a non-resident, it's like one fifty. It's like, whoa, wait a minute! <laughs> like, how how is it skewed? And I know people are going to be are going to say, "Oh, that's an exaggeration." No, it really isn't. Like, I I wish I had in front of me uh, a couple of states, but it it's crazy. Like, you look at certain states in-state fees for their residents and i get it you want to preserve it for the residents and stuff but if you you know and you want to hammer the people coming out of state especially if it's a state where you're very popular like say like iowa or kansas for deer it's relatively cheap for their residents but good god it's out of this world and not to mention you got to try to draw a tag to hunt those states as an out-of-state or especially if you're trying to hunt deer yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Um, I'm not, I'm pulling up the numbers here for Oregon so that I can tell you um, how much it would be for you to buy. Okay, so let's say you come out and you want to hunt uh, for elk with me. So your upfront cost in the license is 172 dollars. And then if you want to buy your over-the-counter elk tag, it's $588. See, that's where they get you. Because I'm like, $172, that's not too bad. But, yeah, the $500 elk tag. Yeah, and then a deer tag is $443.50. Is that for, now, is that one tag, like, per buck or... Like, how does that work? Is that even a doe tag included in that? No, it depends on the, it depends on which unit you hunt. Um, so the, the laws change by unit because we do have different species, um, across the state and they're all managed differently. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, so let's say, let's say you did, uh, you did over the counter archery for deer. Uh, 
you could hunt the western side of the state, and there's a lot of doe tags on the western side. Um, but then on the eastern side, it's, it's pretty much buck only. So, yeah, you're, yeah, it's some of these these barriers to entry. See, like this is one of the things that Hunters Color wants to do too is have a uh, fund that we create where, let's say, somebody who who has been wanting to get into hunting, they're in our mentee program, but they just can't afford to to go on these hunts. Hunters Color will have a fund ready for them to to provide them with their license and their tag so that we can get them out. Um, I think what we eventually will try to do is work with every state's agency mm-hmm. to try to get those those um, donated to to our mentees. Um, but yeah, we're it, we definitely know it's a barrier to entry. Um, and I mean it's like Oregon deer populations aren't that great. I mean, you're definitely probably better off going to uh, a state like Idaho or Wyoming um, if you want to get a deer. And I'm pretty sure their out-of-state costs are a lot cheaper. Mm -hmm. So, So, yeah. uh, I'm looking as, as you talk. So, turkey with turkey hunting coming up around the corner. The state of Alabama, which according to Realtree.com and their turkey hunting nation, uh, the state of Alabama is graded as an A. Resident, license, and permit, $26.20. Out of state, or as they say, cost of non-resident, license, and permit, $131.65 for a three-day, $186.50 for a 10-day, and then if you want an annual turkey permit in the state of Alabama for a non-resident, which means you can hunt for the year, $301.85. Man, these birds are made out of gold. <laughs> <laughs> now let's look, at, let's look at your home state, Oregon. Hunting license and turkey tag for a resident, $52. Hunting license and turkey tag for cost of non-resident, $218 says here again according to the realtree.com turkey hunting nation website you guys rate as a B which is not bad Rio Grande Miriams and hybrids so you you got a variety of birds out there but like I said the 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 great distinction from resident to non-resident, I could kind of see your point of good grief if we continue to just like keep going upward because these things, they don't go backwards. That's the one thing they don't do. They won't go backwards. 218 nope. bucks for a tag to kill one turkey in the state of Oregon. <laughs> yeah, I, I see the appeal to to go into the grocery store and picking up one of those foster farms. I was about to say going to get a butterball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jesus. Oh man. Uh, man. Yeah. So, so that's where we, we, I mean, even for my own interest, I don't want to see those numbers go up. Right. Um, there used to be this thing in, in California. It was called a, a lifetime license. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they, I don't think they offer it anymore in the state of California, but 
I think if you were, if you had a license for a consecutive, I think it was like five consecutive years, you could apply for a lifetime license. Um, and you had to prove to the state somehow that you would, you wouldn't leave the state. And if you did, you would forfeit your lifetime license. But oh. to buy that, the upfront cost was like a thousand bucks, but it would cover you for the rest of your life. Um, I never got it because I knew I was probably eventually going to leave the state. Right. And uh, I also didn't want to fork up a thousand bucks when I was 18 years old. Right. So, um, yeah, it's, they had programs like that in the past, but I don't think that anything like that exists. At least in Oregon, it doesn't exist, and I think it's gone in California now. Yeah, I think um, I've looked into, it's funny, because I've looked into the lifetime uh, sportsman license uh, in Georgia, and I'm just like, mm, it's a it's appealing, but I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, I've been on the fence. I, I can't lie. Like, I have hemmed and I've hawed about the uh, about the lifetime license, but I don't know. I mean, there's there's definitely appeals to it, but if it's you know grossly, you know, a, a gross amount, and like you said, if you plan on leaving the state or something like that, and you got to forfeit it, it's just like, well, geez, why? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. Let's say you get it and you leave the next year, and you just gave away a thousand bucks. I mean, it's like you're not giving it away; it's going to go to good use with the state agencies that that maintain all the the uh, the populations of deer and turkey and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a hard thing to juggle because let's say you decide to move to Alabama or, um, Florida the next year, you, you're forfeiting that lifetime license in one state to go to another state where now you have to start buying licenses again. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, on this, this trajectory is the licenses are going to keep going up. Um, and eventually it's just going to be to the point where we're all going to be shoveling out, uh, like 500 to a thousand dollars a year just to keep doing the things that we love, which, which in reality is not that much money. Um, but when you combine everything else together, like all the gear that you got to buy, the time that you got to take off to get on these big hunts and when you add it all up, um, trying to, trying to save us as much money as possible and, and uh, make it more accessible to, to people who want to get into it. Right, right. Basically not price them out. So you get the 5013C. Obviously that will allow you to do like fundraising and stuff like that. So that'll definitely help uh, with a lot of you know, your expenses and being able to get people out on the hunts and stuff um, as they're coming along. And I know you said that you wanted to get, in 2021, you wanted to get like 20 new hunters out. Um, 
out and experience, you know, going hunting. What else uh, have you got lined out for uh, Hunters of Color for 2021? So the, the 20 hunters is what I want to do myself. Okay. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm personally a mentor for Hunters of Color. Um, and so that's my personal goal. Uh, is to get 20 new people out. And um, I think the way I'm going to be doing that is I think I'm going to buy myself a uh, buy myself a boat here pretty soon mm. and try to get a couple of, le- uh, a couple of leases for uh, the next duck season that comes up so that when duck season does roll around for next year, I have places to take people and I can take uh, multiple people and on the same trip. And, uh, with the boat, it'll give me access to a ton of water around here. Um, and then, um, other than, aside from my personal goals, um, I have a full list here somewhere. Uh, I can't find it right now, but, um, as an organization, actually, let me find that document. Pretty important. Um, Okay, so we actually we should put this on our on our website here pretty soon. It's our 2021 strategic plan, um, and so let's see, it kind of lists all the all the things that we're trying to, to accomplish within the year, mm-hmm. um, and so. Uh, so the first thing is community engagement. Um, one of the first things that we want to do is increase visibility of, of Hunters of Color. Uh, not the brand, but actual Hunters of Color. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, people who are living the life that we are promoting. And um, one of the ways that we're doing that is we're like our um, we're doing podcasts with, like, for instance, you are helping us achieve one of our goals right now. Because <laughs> um, we we said we'd appear on a minimum of four podcasts um, per year, and I think we've already done three or four this year. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, um, good. Yeah, it, so it's we're we're have some traction, and then uh, we want to get a YouTube channel started where we kind of document our small events that we do, um, where we show people kind of what Hunters of Color is all about and show people having a good time because like I mentioned earlier when uh, when I saw the smile on her name was Michelle on her face uh, it just brought me back to when I was a, a kid and so if people who are on the edges or on the fringes of wanting to be a mentor for Hunters of Color and they see something like that that might be the motivation to push them to want to reach out and fill out the application to be a mentor and start taking people out on their own. And, um, and so uh, another one of our goals just to sustain um, the company is to make a thousand sales of our merchandise, which is just shirts, hats, 
Um, I think I'm going to be making some arrow wraps here pretty soon. Oh. Um, for the archery hunters. Yep. Nice. Um, yeah, it's, that's my my uh, bread and butter right there is archery. Uh, and then uh, we want to increase our our following on Instagram up to fifteen thousand. Um, and then we also want to start publishing a um, we want to publish a newsletter where we have different writers kind of write in and um, different artists, people who talk about how they got into hunting, kind of like a feature Friday, but uh, way more inclusive of other experiences and way more in depth instead of just like a, a brief paragraph. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we want to host a minimum of four hunts in at least two states. So that means, let's say we do... Um, we do two pheasant hunts in Oregon, two duck hunts in Oregon, where we allow anybody to come or we uh, allow people to apply to come to it. Um, and I see us doing something like that in California too. Those are my two home states, um, where I have experience hunting and where I kind of feel like I can make traction. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I think, uh, we want to lead at least four uh, shooting and safety courses. So we'll go out to a range and have an actual range master, um, teach people proper gun safety and, um, we'll have like a a range day where we can, we can shoot and get people interested or, I mean, at least, uh, comfortable with shooting. Um, we want to do lead four archery lessons. Um, and one thing that we have around here is, we're right down the road from Bowtech. Um, they, their factory is right down the road and we're, we're going to be reaching out to them to see if they'll sponsor an event or two for hunters of color. Um, and then, uh, we want to do one fundraising banquet event, kind of like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with like a uh, ducks limited, how mm-hmm. they do their banquets or, yep. yeah. So we, we want to do something like that where we can, fundraise through a, a big event and with that money kind of sponsor more hunters and um, provide gear for new hunters, uh, get people out on uh, donated guided hunts. Um, and so then we have, uh, right here we have post four um, Instagram live events where we kind of just talk different subjects. We haven't really figured out the, those subjects yet. Um, and then we also want to host, um, some virtual panels, kind of same thing with the, the Instagram live stuff where we'll, we'll talk about like how to get into archery or, um, how to build an arrow or something, something along those lines. Um, and then more in depth, so we want to sponsor, uh, four guided hunts this year. So that means we have to either um, try to find four guides to donate a hunt or get the funds to pay for a guided hunt. Um, we also have um, sponsor at least four hunters with equipment to get into the hunting that they want to. So for instance, let's say turkey. Um, what we'll do is we'll try to get all the equipment you'll ever need to go turkey hunting 
probably minus the gun unless we can get that donated. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. And we'll set we'll set a hunter up with with um, everything they'll need to go turkey hunting. Um, and then we're also going to have a license and tag uh, application for this year where we'll sponsor 25 in-state licenses and 25 in-state tags. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of where we're at. And then uh, we is, have like our mentorship program. That is an aggressive year, man. That, that... Yeah. <laughs> Even like it, uh, it, even even if you just be, get uh, even if you just get half of that, which I'm pretty sure you'll definitely eclipse a lot more. But I'm just saying, if you just eclipse half of that, you've like <laughs> I mean, golly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, what we're trying to do is is kind of we're reaching for the stars right now um, since we are getting so much traction. And hopefully when we start presenting this to uh, potential investors or people who want to donate, they're going to look at these figures and be like, wow, they're actually going to be doing some great stuff this year. Uh, And yeah, I mean, we're excited. Uh, Once we get our nonprofit status, then the the money should start coming in. And and the more money we have, it makes it a lot easier on us to, to get people out and do all these these things that we have listed here man that is awesome jimmy i appreciate you like i said coming through and just sharing with my listeners about hunters uh hunters of color i mean it's a a great organization a needed organization and the work that you're doing man my hat's off uh my hat is off to you before we we get you out of here let people know where they can find you guys like websites instagrams like all of that stuff man how can people follow you donate keep up with everything that you got going on yeah so right now um we are most active on our Instagram platform, and that's at Hunters of Color. Um, you can find our website. It's uh, huntersofcolor.com. Um, there you'll find, soon you'll find the application for being a mentor or mentee. Um, you'll find a donation portal and also a portal to our gear. Um, basically, it's just branded uh, T-shirts and hats at this point. Um, but in the future, we see ourselves kind of moving into other sectors. Kind of Like I mentioned earlier, we want to make a uh, arrow wraps. Um, and we'll, we'll start, we'll start coming up with, with new stuff, but, um, yeah, there's, there's a donation portal. And if you donate to us now, we're going to be, uh, retroactively sending you a email that thanks you. And also we'll say, once we get our nonprofit status, then we'll send you our, uh, our nonprofit nonprofit number um, that you can use for your tax deduction stuff. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's where you can find us. Um, if you want to get directly in contact with me or Lydia, Lydia is um, she's running the the uh, Instagram account and is kind of the she's the the driving force behind a lot of this right now um, since I'm working full time. 
Uh, you can reach her at Lydia or Lydia at HuntersOfColor.com uh, directly or me, Jimmy, at HuntersOfColor.com. Awesome. Awesome. Man, Jimmy, good luck this year with everything and all of your goals, man. And I would love to have you back uh, just to see how things are going and, and see the progress that you're making. Man, thanks again for, for having me. And, uh, yeah, let's do this again. Hopefully we'll we'll have good news for you the next time we're on. Brightland. Once again, big thank you to Jimmy Flat from Hunters of Color for coming by, having an important conversation. I uh, really admire the work Jimmy is doing, the things that he is setting up with that Hunters of Color organization. So uh, it was great for him to come by, share that with us, and uh, definitely appreciate it. It is time to put a bow on this podcast. Another Monday in the books. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Enjoyed talking a little Super Bowl. Enjoyed talking about the work of Jimmy Flat and Hunters of Color. Uh, always appreciate you guys coming by, taking the time, making the download, subscribing to our podcast. We're going to come back next week with another podcast, bring you guys some more information, uh, enlighten you, hopefully um, entertain you uh, for a little while, whether you're on your commute or on your way. Like I said, we, we certainly appreciate y'all, and we, and we can't say that enough. Just one more last time, make sure you're checking us out on BryantLandCountry.com. That is our website. It has everything. It has merch. It has our past podcasts. It has videos. Please make sure you're checking out BryantLandCountry.com. Hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week. Hopefully you're getting out there, either riding some ATVs, maybe you're hunting some squirrel, rabbit, whatever the case is, uh, maybe getting after some crappy turkey season, not that far away, almost around the corner. There's coyotes that always need killing, maybe doing some predator hunting, hogs, never ever a bad time to get out there and try to get you some bacon while you're waiting on turkey season to come in. Either way, hopefully you're enjoying the outdoors and make sure you come back next week and check us out for another episode of The Bryant Land Show. 